0: John 16, starting at verse 1. Jesus is speaking. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief, because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. What is, that is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this is part two in a message about the Holy Spirit. It might not sound like it when you read that passage, but there's a fundamental truth about the Holy Spirit there that we, the church, have to recognize. And the truth is, without the Holy Spirit, the church is just another organization. Without the Holy Spirit, the church is just another organization. So we see Jesus warning the followers not to fall away. He tells them that they're going to receive persecution from the synagogue and we could say the church. The fact is, is that when persecution arises to Christians, it will almost certainly begin within. You say, how can you say that? Well, because history tells us this, because Jesus told us this. Where did the first persecutions of Christians occur after the birth of the church? In Jerusalem, among the fellow Jews who now saw that their Judaism was being corrupted by this particular brand or this particular sect that had emerged out of their conviction about Jesus. And one of the best known persecutors from within was a fellow by the name of Saul of Tarsus, He was a Pharisee. He called himself the Pharisee of Pharisees. And it was his mission to eradicate Judaism of this strange sect that believed that the Messiah had already come and that he had died and rose again. I wonder sometimes if Jesus knew Saul, or at least he knew that there would be people like Saul because that's why he said There's going to be a time when people will feel that they're doing God's will by killing you and driving you out of the synagogue. Now, if you don't remember, Saul of Tarsus became Paul the Apostle. A total transformation occurred in his life when he was convicted of his error and filled with the Holy Spirit. Now the truth is, is even in the local church today, even Shiloh, United Methodist Church, there have been times when people were at odds with one another because priorities and tastes and personal self-importance, that kind of thing, had taken the place of the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church, and therefore people were... Split and divided and broken and angry and lawsuits get filed and violence emerges in tongue and sometimes even in physical ways. And all because they don't know him and the father. The fact of the matter is, is the church is subject to the leadership of Jesus Christ, and whenever anyone emerges as being more important or more influential than Jesus, there's going to be trouble. This is why it's so easy for me to laugh at myself and make jokes and things and see otherwise sacred moments. It's just my way of saying I don't take myself that seriously. I don't have to. I'm nothing without the Holy Spirit the fact is, is I'm not a very good public speaker without the Holy Spirit don't ever ask me to give a speech about underwater basket weaving or something because I won't be able to do it but I can talk about the Bible and I could talk about the work of the Lord in the church all the time because the Spirit is in charge. So. Jesus says the fundamental problem in the synagogues and the churches in any community where Christians are at odds with one another is it's a difference of opinion that can be settled instantaneously by giving all the authority to the Holy Spirit who delivers God's Word through Jesus to us okay and our priorities and our vision and our mission are all set by the Spirit then and it is given to us through spirit-led and spirit-filled leaders to make this make more sense i want to refer to something that i heard at barbara Stevens' funeral recently her son-in-law is a pastor up in Lagodi, and he gave a sermon at her funeral where he included this illustration that i thought would be a great way to explain what jesus said about those who don't know him so what we heard was is that there was this certain orator, that's a big-time public speaker, someone who's very well-known for their oration, their speaking. And they do it with flash and eloquence. And he had wowed a particular audience in a local church for a couple of hours with his renditions of poems and soliloquies and things like that. And at the end of the presentation he offered to take requests and someone called out immediately the 23rd Psalm and he said very well and he began in his very eloquent public speaker way to say the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want and he did a wonderful job of delivering the 23rd Psalm to the audience and they applauded and were amazed but the man turned out to be a very wise and humble man and knowing that he was in the church and that the elderly saintly pastor was sitting nearby he said now I'd like you to hear your pastor's rendition of the 23rd Psalm and so he invited the gentleman to come to the podium and the old man stepped up to the podium and he began the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. He leaded me beside still waters. And on he went. It wasn't eloquent. It wasn't beautiful. It wasn't loud. It wasn't a great oration. But the audience was stunned at the end of his presentation of the 23rd Psalm, and there was silence. And finally, the great speaker, who had entertained them magnificently all evening, looked at the audience and said, You heard me read words that I knew you heard him talk about the Shepherd he knows I know the words he knows the Shepherd and this is what Jesus means when he says they don't know me they don't know the Father this is why they persecute you so let us be sure that wherever the Holy Spirit is not welcome in the church there's no way you're gonna know the Lord You're not gonna know the Father. And so the Holy Spirit is welcome in this place because it is the sure and absolute truth. Do you believe there's absolute truth? I hope so. There are certain absolute truths we can all agree about. One of them is gravity, right? If you mess with gravity, you're gonna end up with a skinned knee or a cracked noggin or something because gravity is absolutely real and true. In fact, if you're a skydiver, there's certain things that you can count on. For example, when you jump out of the airplane, you will begin to hurtle towards the ground until you reach terminal velocity, which is as fast as you can go in that particular setting. And without the aid of another airplane or a parachute or something, you're going to meet the ground suddenly and abruptly, and it's all over. Lights out. That's it. We all agree about that, don't we? Now, my nephew, Zach, has been taking skydiving lessons, and I've been following his progress on Facebook. And I saw where he started out several weeks ago, connecting himself with a harness to the master skydiving instructor. Hooked himself to the guy, and the guy took him out into the abyss, you know, flew out of the airplane, and, and, and Zach and his instructor, the master fly through the air and at a certain point the parachute comes out and they fall safely to the earth and everything is fine. And from then on Zach believes that parachutes are safe. How many of you believe parachutes are safe? How many of you like me are thinking that there's no good reason to jump out of a perfectly safe airplane? Amen. I got pilots in the room who will say, why get out? when it feels so good with him right and yet because my nephew hitched himself to the master and the master was with him he was able to learn to trust what the master knew instinctively eventually after taking training and building relationships with other people who have trusted the parachute and the art of skydiving He got to the point where he could go on his own, and he did, and he made his solo jumps. And he's very confident through training, through experience, through relationships, through the guidance of the master. He now knows for sure that if you do all the things you're supposed to do and you prepare properly, you can be absolutely certain that the parachute will safely lower you to the ground. Anyone else willing to try it now that I've told you that? Yes, eh, some of you might give it a try. Can I tell you the truth? It sometimes seems like something I might try. I've done stranger things. But the reality is, it was only through the work of his master, through the training, through the relationships with others, through the process of experimentation and improvement of technique, that Zach became able to really trust the parachute. So today's message is about the church doing the same thing. Trust the master. Use the presence of the master to learn the ins and outs of your Bible and prayer and the community and the body Called the body of Christ. Learn through relationships and training and experience. Trust those who have been placed in your midst as elders to provide you with the instruction that God holds them accountable for. And then you begin to learn not so much to trust a parachute, but a paraclete. See what I did there? Couldn't help it. It was a nice wordplay, I had to try. See, all of the apostles and the others, they knew Jesus, the risen Lord. They'd literally been in his presence after he rose from death. And they had come to know him in this way and were comfortable with him and completely sure of him. But they have asked us and generations before us to believe what they believe without actually having seen what they've seen. And you know why? Because Jesus told them in this passage, now it's time for you to let me go so that I can send the Spirit, the Advocate, to be with you. And in the same way, they had to trust what they knew was true because the Master was no longer going in tandem with them, but rather sending them out on their own and they become those who teach us and carry us until we're able to go on our own. This is the way the church grew and became prolific and spread across the world for uh, generations and generations. And it is, in the scripture, the prerequisite for Christ's return. And it all stems from the coming of the Holy Spirit into what we call the church age. Now, when the church suffers disharmony, it's almost certainly because the Holy Spirit has been has been treated like a low priority and the human spirit has been treated like a high priority. Let me be very frank with you as I always have, but when you look back on this church's history and remember its rocky times and its difficult situations, it was almost always about temporal things, wasn't it? It was always about the color of carpet, it was always about the kind of music, It was always about stuff and about tastes and about whether some people were more influential than others and whether some people were getting the credit they deserved and others and on and on it goes and you say Pastor Dan were you here and we just didn't see you no it happens in every church my friends it happens in every church because the Holy Spirit lights a fire in us that must be maintained through prayer and Bible study through fellowship with the believers in other words like my nephew Zach, I once learned to scuba dive a back in 85 okay that was a long time ago guys I haven't done it much since I still know how but I don't think I would risk doing it based on what I remember from back then I'd probably want to renew my training resume a relationship with a master spend a lot of time with others who are in the hobby and so begin all over again in order to revive in me the old scuba diver that's still within. And it would be the same way with Zach if he quit scuba diving and so forth. In the same way when the church is full with the spirit and we're really rocking and rolling and the people are coming out like crazy and the place is growing and and we get all wrapped up in exciting things that the Holy Spirit facilitated there's a temptation to think I did that there's a temptation to think that we caused that and this is when human depravity fueled by Satan begins to take over and pride becomes the driving force rather than the Holy Spirit and so since I've been here, I've been urging us to relax, to rest, to experience this Jubilee Sabbath as a time to do nothing intentional, to move forward in any particular direction. And sometimes I get some very good natured teasing about it because people are thinking, when are we gonna do something? And here's the thing, we aren't going to do anything. This is why we took a Sabbath break because we needed to stop doing what we've been doing So that we could wait to see what the Lord is doing and join the Lord in it. Amen? Right. The Sabbath has been a time for waiting and letting go of our vision and our driving forces and our tastes and all of that. And a time for waiting to see where the Lord is at work, learning to hear the voice of the Spirit and becoming obedient once again. And then the revival will come, trust me. And so next week, when we invite the Holy Spirit once again, as they did on that Pentecost day so long ago, we want to recognize that it'll be a little scary. And I'm not talking about scary to Methodists because I think God is pretty good at meeting us where we are. Probably not gonna see any kind of revival in the church that looks like something you'd see in a different denomination. It's probably going to be a very comfortably Methodist revival. At least the current version of it. You know, Methodists used to be 100 years ago, some of the big holy rollers. What happened to us? Well, it's okay. But I don't want to digress by saying all of that. My point is, is next week we want to invite the Holy Spirit to really take the reins and lead us once more. By the time we reach Pentecost Sunday next week, will be a couple of months from the end of our Jubilee Sabbath. And if we'll start warming up to the Holy Spirit and really inviting the Holy Spirit to lead our lives and lead this church, then I figure by the time the Sabbath is over, we'll know exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And the Lord will have already done all of the preliminary work and he'll just say, well, if you wanna help, I could use you over here. You might enjoy doing this over there and so on. This is the point of the passage that we just read if you don't know him then this is just an organization and it will be ruled by those who can outlast the others if this is a church with a capital C then the Holy Spirit reigns and those who will welcome the Spirit will join the Spirit in whatever needs to be done here amen let us pray Almighty God, I thank you for your word. I pray pray that by your spirit it might turn our hearts toward you, that we might be changed forever for your name's sake. Amen.